Hi again, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on LJN Radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. In this episode of Moving Up the Ladder, we're talking about the sales profession, specifically some ways that you could be more successful in this area. In order to do that, we're going to speak today with Dave Matson. He's the CEO of Sandler Training. He also wrote the foreword to the second edition of David Sandler's work. The book is called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. And that, again, is the second edition that's being released. Dave, thanks for coming on the show today. Tim, it's my pleasure. Obviously, uh, here to talk about an area that you have a lot of experience in, as well as knowledge. You want to share that with the listeners a little bit. I want to start off by asking, first of all, I guess many people I feel argue that success in the sales profession is more of an art form, that that's how they view it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, certainly I've heard that over the last 29 years. <laughs> is it an art or is it a science? And, uh, you know, I think those who don't want to follow process will always say, of course, it's an art form. But I believe it looks like an art form if, in fact, you prepare, if, in fact, that you follow a methodology. I think when you go in, it should not look scripted. You know, I think people buy from people. They're going to buy from people who they like. Sure. I think sales should be a conversation. And it can't be a conversation, Tim, unless you know what your part as a, as a salesperson. And when you really know your part and you've done your pre-call planner and you've prepped, then it looks like an art form. But it looks like an art form when I watch them play golf and I watch them play <laughs> tennis on Sundays, but I right. know it's not. <laughs> I think that's a fair analogy right there. It's just that preparation piece to it that people don't see that behind the scenes stuff. But as you said, it looks pretty good when it does come all together. That leads us to the second portion of it is why do you feel it is necessary to have a system in place instead of that idea of going with the flow or you know, you see that stereotypical salesperson, quote unquote, of you know, trusting your instincts and just figuring it out on the fly. Why do you feel it's far more important to have a system in place? Well, if you think about any other part of an organization, my accountants have a system, the attorneys have a system, marketing has a system with all the SEO. Mm -hmm. I think systems are, are pretty common within the business place. And, and certainly, I know I fly around the country and I, I hope my pilot has systems. <laughs> I think when it comes to, comes to sales, you know, we need that system um, versus instinct because when you're talking about the buyer-seller dance, I think that either you're going to lead the dance as a professional salesperson or you're going to be led by the prospect. And prospects, mm. they have a, a methodology to their madness. You know, they're trying to figure out what you know without any commitments on their end. Sure. And it's not, a, it's not a, a malicious thing. It's just how it works. And I think that if you have a process, then you can always gauge where I am now and what do I need to do in order to progress within my, my process, whatever that is for you. And then you can save the ultimate precious commodity that you have called time. And I also think just out of pure respect for the other side, the prospect or our customers, when you say, look, I'm not sure there's a fit based on what's being said, mm -hmm. then that is an awesome level setter. And it's either it's true and you get to say, hey, look, maybe next time, or then you can engage in a conversation. But more importantly, I think without process, by default, you're going to follow the prospect's process. As a quick follow-up to that, of course, we talk with a lot of people and the conversation turns a lot of times to data that they have and the metrics that they use. Is that something that's utilized when you're talking about a system like this or is that a little bit off the board? Well, I mean, I think you can certainly have metrics and, and numbers if you want to say, well, look, you know, from stage one to stage two, the average in my group is 40% and I'm only at 20%. What do I need to do? Hmm. I think process allows you to have the GPS as a, let's say the boundaries. Right. And then I think within that, of course, your CRM product would work. And I also think your metrics would work, but I think without process, I'm not sure what you're measuring. You'd have to <laughs> measure against something, right. whether it's a, 
a methodology that you've adopted or a methodology that you've just figured has worked over time as you've looked back at your experience and said, this is what I've been, you know, done intuitively. Let me put it now pen to paper and get this thing done so I can work smarter, not harder. In your opinion, then, when we're talking about the idea of sales, do you think you can train just about anyone to be that great salesperson? Or do you think that there are certain skills or traits that you hear the idea of somebody being born with, or they just have it naturally. Where do you stand on that idea of training versus natural ability? Well, I, I believe salespeople are made, not born. Okay. You know, I grew up, my parents were teachers. I'm pretty sure they didn't drive me around <laughs> to all the sporting events and send me to school so I could be a salesperson. And I'm pretty sure my dad didn't say, oh my gosh, looks like the first salesperson, you know, in our whole family right. as I came, came into this world. Now, having said that, I'm an introvert by nature. You know, so if I took all the standard behavioral tests, should I be in sales? Probably not. Should I speak to thousands of people? Probably not. But so does it take more energy for me? Yes. Do I have to work harder? Probably. But I think that all of us, if we were to have whatever methodology and whatever prep, and we've talked about that, I think that you can do it. I think it's a cop-out when you say, well, I'm just it's not a part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. And I understand that there's our there are extremes. We know people who just don't have any social skills. I get that part. But I think that if you're willing to commit the time and you're willing to focus in on other people, I think you're halfway there. So to me, I think it's a learned ability. I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear that. And uh, you know, I find it interesting that you mentioned that you, by nature, are more of an introvert. I think most people who sort of identify that way would feel like there's no way I could ever do it. But I, I like that you're able to bring that to the table and that you've had plenty of success. What would you say are one or two of the absolute key aspects that really individuals need to have if they want to quote unquote win in this type of profession? Well, Tim, we've talked about one, which is have a process. Sure. You know, the one that I know you certainly need to process. I think the second one is to have a cookbook or a recipe for success. And what that means is to identify what you need to do every single day to be successful. I think people focus on the end result. I've got to make X dollars or X sales. And you can't control that. You need to focus on the things that you can control, which is your own behavior. And the most successful salespeople that I know have said, let's break down this, you know, this big number that I'm supposed to be getting. What do I need to do every single day to be successful? Because if I do that, then I know mathematically I will hit the end result. That's one. I think the last one is, how do I separate my identity from my role? And what I mean by that is, how do I remain third party? on a sales call and not get sucked in emotionally or not take rejection mm. and fear, doubt, and worry. Because if you think about sales, it's a sick profession. I mean, we <laughs> lose more than we win, right? right? And so, you know, in LinkedIn and other social media has made it easier, let's say, to even in the cold calling world. But for the most part, we wake up to hear no's most of the day. So I think if you can separate who you are as a person and not get offended by rejection or, or just, you know, mope around for a week or two and just say, hey, that's part of it and let it roll right off your back. Those are the people that are successful. Hmm. I want to touch on something you just mentioned there earlier, the idea of goals. A lot of times, obviously, I've been around sales as well, and you hear numbers that you need to reach. I guess, where do you stand on setting those goals specifically? Because as you mentioned, there are things that can be outside of your control. Do you still see them as having a lot of validity in terms of if you're trying to manage employees that are going to be making sales? Do you think there's a, a danger in there at all? What's kind of your overall thought on the idea of setting those goals? Well, I think goals in general are something that we all talk about and very few people do. Hmm. You know, it's like the annual diet. You know, less than 3% of the population have written goals. 
And, you know, we've heard all the studies and those, those are, you know, the top wealthiest people in the nation. So I think goals when it comes to selling is like anything else, whether you're given the goals or you actually create your goals, mm-hmm. I think you have to have them. And then along the way, you need to do some benchmarks. How am I doing? Should I readjust? What's happening? But I think the stronger thing is that if you're given a goal by a company, you should put that aside for a second, you know, take a deep breath because you'll always say it's too high. I'm never going to attain that. But if you were to sit down and say, what are my personal goals? And let's just take financial goals. Let's assume that my financial goals are, I personally have five kids. I've got to put them through college. I'd like to retire. I'd like to go on vacation. I make a list of the things that I need to live, let's say subsistence living. But then I have some goals, which are sending my kids to college and maybe I want a vacation home. If I figured all that out, Tim, and then said, let's break up that number to a, a monthly and a daily number, you know, and let's all of a sudden I may find that I've got to make $1,000 a day in order to hit my goal. Now, I could live off 200 a day, but to hit my goal, I need 1000 a day. Well, what do I have to do in order to get that type of income? And then if I were to do that cookbook that I talked to you about, which is everything that I need to do every single day, I will bet you nine out of 10 times your personal goals and aspirations are far higher than the quota that was given to you. But because you don't have goals written down, you take what they gave you and you say, whoa, too high. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But if you were to do your own goal setting and then mathematically turn it into what you need to do at your job in order to produce that type of income, every single time I have found that people, A, are driven because it's theirs, not given to them, and B, they will blow through those corporate goals like there's no tomorrow because it has meaning to them. Sure. I think that's a nice way to break it down for our listeners out there. Of course, we talked about the idea of science versus art and that kind of debate and maybe a myth in some people's minds. What would you point to as maybe some other myths that are prevalent within the sales industry? Well, I think one of the myths is experience outweighs preparation. We kind of talked a little bit about that. You know, I've, I know a lot of people that have 26 years of experience, but I certainly know an awful lot of people that have one year experience 26 times. So, and I think the longer you've been in an industry, the more you tend to wing it. And I, and I don't think that's good. I think another one is we've talked about, you know, the myth of managing your quota and managing your metrics. I, I get that, but I think you need to manage your behavior. Another one is, hey, uh, I need to spend all my time learning my products and services. Well, that's probably true. But I think if you were to focus in on really the the client, the prospect versus me, 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 Mm -hmm. you get a lot further along. I mean, think about a doctor of sales for a second, Tim. When I walk into a doctor, they ask me a lot of questions. They're focused in on me. They don't say, thanks for coming in, Dave. Let me show you my diplomas. Let (laughs) me tell you how wonderful I am. Mm -hmm. And if you would just take the same approach on your sales call, you do a lot better. I like that analogy. I'll have to keep that in mind for when I'm uh, trying to get in touch with people as well. Of course, part of the reason we're talking here is the idea of giving people a little bit of advice. Would you be able to share with us maybe some detail on two or three of Sandler's seven steps? We obviously don't want to give away all of the details. That's why you have the book, but something that to you is unique that you'd want to mention here on the show right now. Well, what attracted me initially, and I'll take, let's take the middle of the steps here. Step number two is something we call upfront contract or a mutual agreement. And, and really what that is, Tim, is I think that if you start a call strong, it tends to end strong. I think most people go in without an agenda. So there's five things in my mind that if you could start every call with, that you'd be much farther along. First thing is review the purpose. Why are we here today? 
maybe may sound so simple to you, but I promise you, some people looked at their calendar five minutes before you arrived to figure out who you were. <laughs> second thing, second thing is time. How much time do we have for the call? Oh. I mean, think about how many times that you thought you had an hour. Somebody looked at their watch twenty minutes into it and said, "Hey, it's really crazy here today. We got to go," right. and you didn't get anything done. Third thing is agenda. Now that has two parts. It's your agenda and their agenda. So what are the top two or three things that your customer or prospect wants to cover today before the end of the meeting in order to make it productive for them? And then what are the things that you want to cover? And tell them up front. Ask them, what do you want to cover today? You know, you tend to start off with your agenda as a salesperson and never really ask, what do they want to cover? And if you just basic psychology will say that most people aren't engaged in the conversation until they feel like their needs are going to get met. And if you think about that for a second, the best way to do that is, what are your needs? What do you want to cover? And then also tell them, here are the two or three things that I'd like to do today and get them ready for it. And don't spring it on them because there's a lot of you know, buyer behavior patterns that say, tell me what to expect. So I think that's it. And then the last one is outcome. Let people know at the end of the meeting that you know there's a couple things that we could decide and explain what they are. It could be there's not a fit. It could be, hey, we're going to have another meeting, or maybe it makes sense to invite in somebody else from the product side. But I think when you try to do that close in a 60-minute meeting and you're 48 minutes into it, and you say, well, here's, you know, why don't we go to this next step? Inevitably, what we hear is, I need to think it over. Well, if I tell people in the first three minutes, you know, here's what I'd like to figure out whether we can decide at the end in a very nice way, and we're doing this in a very quick, sterile environment. But if you did it in a conversational way, people are going to say, okay, I understand. And you'll find that the call changes. It's more focused. It's more interactive. And at the end, when you do say, does it make sense for us to go to the next level or not? You, you're more apt to hear a, yeah, it does. And that's great. So those, that upfront contract is magical. I've always found that to work. And you know, we have tens of thousands of clients going through. And when people see us years later, they'll say, Hey, that upfront contract changed my life. So that's one. Uh, I think the next step in our process is pain. I think that's a great concept. And I'm going to use the doctor for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, most times salespeople, they'll go in and, and really start to deal with symptoms. You know, when somebody openly says, I've got a problem with service. Right. Okay. You know, and we'll say, well, wait, service, you know, that's our greatest strength and <laughs> that's what we're known for and blah, blah, blah. But I think if you step back and think about, what questions would a doctor ask if I went in with a back problem? They wouldn't you know, say, hey, that's my specialty. They would ask what? Well, tell me about it. When did that happen? How did it happen? Hmm. How long has it been a problem? How long have you had that back, you know, that problem with your back? And what are you doing to try to fix it? Are you taking aspirin? Are you doing heat? Are you doing cold? So then they would ask you, well, what's the pain threshold? Right? Right. And then they would ask you a ton of questions. But at the end, when they ask the questions, we may find that it's not my back, Tim. It's actually the way I'm standing. And so instead of getting operated, thank goodness they ask questions because they don't want to be sued for malpractice. But salespeople tend to jump in quick. And service may not be the problem, or it may. We don't know. But I think if you were to ask questions to figure out how does it impact the business and figure out what, what's the real problem, once you identify what that is, figure out how does it impact the, the business itself. What is the ripple effect? I mean, when you say, you know, we had bad service, all right, let's assume that is the real problem. What does that really mean? Does it mean that people are 
standing in line at my office complaining and it's eating up half my day? Does it mean that I can't get answers quick enough, so therefore my, my business is suffering? What does it mean? Because people say service, but what's the ripple effect to the business? And then what's the ripple effect to the person sitting in front of you? Hmm. Because at the end of the day, pain is personal. Right. So how does it affect you? And you know, pain's been in the industry for a while. David Sandler, first one to bring this to the, to the marketplace way back in the 70s. And I know it's a common term now, but really Sandler was the one who brought this to the training world, to the business world. And I think if you think real quick, I know we don't have time, but just about the doctor of sales and working on the true problem and not symptoms and focusing in on our prospect, I think that that's uh, two of the keys in our selling methodology. I think you clearly gave our listeners a nice perspective, a different perspective on the idea of sales and some good insight into what they could find in the book. Again, if you're interested, it's You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. It's the second edition, and there's actually a foreword by our guest today, Dave Matson. Dave, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate uh, all of your knowledge and experience that you're able to bring to the listeners today. Thanks, Tim. That will do it for us here on this edition of Moving Up the Ladder. We were speaking with Dave Matson. He's the CEO of Sandler Training. He also wrote the foreword in the updated second edition of You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. So you can check that out if you're looking for more insights into the sales world. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any of our episodes, you can send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at the LJN and please check out our episodes. They're all up on iTunes. You can go ahead and search in the iTunes store for LJN radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.